Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. His background is as a CBC journalist. He's a best-selling author. He was a rapper, might still be a rapper, who knows? He's now uh, the first ever First Nations Premier of a Canadian province. Please welcome to the stage, if you would, the Premier of Manitoba, Bob Canoe. You and I spoke premier um, in October, the morning after you were elected. I think you had one hour of sleep uh, when you came into our studio. How do you think your life is different now? I think the, the thing that is different is that we placed our bet on the people of Manitoba in our election campaign. We bet that Manitobans, especially after COVID and the pandemic, were tired of division and wanted to hear a message of unity. And so we campaigned on the vision that we are one Manitoba. And I think the thing that is different in my life is that back then that was a bet. And now, in the four ensuing months or so, I know that to be true. To see the positive sentiment of Manitobans from all walks of life who are hungry to say we are one province with one shared future. We don't agree on everything, but let's try and do the big things together. Seeing that resoundingly sent message from the people of Manitoba is by far and away the biggest thing that has improved my life since October 3rd. This is a really hard moment right now in this province in yeah. terms of what happened, um, the tragedy in Carmen. And, and suddenly you are thrust into having to, to speak to people about that. And I just wonder what that's like. It's a difficult moment because I think anytime you hear about a two and a half month old, it makes you stop in your tracks. A four-year-old, six-year-old, 17-year-old, a mother. And our province is strong. Our province is good. And yet we have these difficult moments that we still have to grapple with. And so I appreciate you acknowledging that, Matt, and giving us an opportunity to reflect on it. And as a leader, I think the responsibility is to reach out to our fellow Manitobans and to say, while these times are tough, we cannot give in to the difficulty. And in fact, we can continue to draw on the things that we've always drawn on as Manitobans, community and family and faith and togetherness to get through this period too. You mentioned healthcare and it doesn't matter who you talk to in this province. This is a conversation right across the country. You could talk about healthcare every single day, and people will talk about the worries they have around the system, what's happening to the system. We heard from healthcare workers who are burnt out, who feel threatened in their jobs. They're leaving the profession, or they're going to private agencies, nurses in particular. What are you going to do about that? That seems like an existential threat to the system when people don't feel like they can be in the system anymore. So as a politician, I should be in the business of managing expectations, but I will actually raise them. And I will say that I think that answering this question is fundamental to our identity as Canadians, because I think the fact that we have a universal public health care system is one of our fundamental Canadian values. 
You now have a healthcare system, though, where private companies are making a lot of money because nurses are being pulled to come and work for them, pulled out of a public system in some ways. And as a public healthcare system, we need to ask, what is that nursing agency offering? And then reverse engineer that and make sure that the offer in the public system is, ju is just as strong. So is it work-life balance? Is it the ability to plan around your kids' lives and to be able to take your children to the hockey game or soccer game or dance classes on the weekends or in the evenings? Is it the pay? Is it the flexibility around scheduling? All these things are challenges that we can surmount in the public system. We just have to be able to answer the call. And I think importantly, in Manitoba, one of the important differences we need to, to, to continue to pursue now is to listen to ask the questions of the nurses, of the healthcare professionals, the physicians, the aides, the support staff, ask the question, and then listen to the response, and then design our system around what the front lines are telling us. You have the money to do that? We have the money in the system right now. The challenge is not money. We the are spending- just to be clear, The challenge is not money. Yes. We are spending more money than ever in healthcare, and outcomes are getting worse. So simply spending more money is not going to be the answer. The answer is having a more compassionate, responsive, flexible approach to delivering health care in Manitoba and across Canada. That said, if the Prime Minister were to show up in the next day or so with more money, I would certainly welcome that and appear at a press conference next to him. But the point I'm trying to make is that money alone, just throwing more money at the same existing approach that is leading to that burnout that you're talking about, that is pushing people who've been on the, uh, on the front lines for decades, years, that's not going to work. We have to also rethink the delivery of healthcare in Canada within that context of public, universal, compassionate care for Canadians from all walks of life. Just the last point on this, if we don't get it right, is that, that universal care that's part of the identity of this country, is that a threat, do you think? I believe so. Because at the end of the day, if you're asking what is the value that Canadians have articulated through us having a universally publicly accessible healthcare system that sets us apart, that is a constituent of our national identity, it's the idea that we're not going to leave anyone behind. And to me, that is fundamental, not only to the question of what it means to be a Canadian, but what it means to be a Manitoban. One of the other commitments you've made is to search a landfill for the remains of murdered Indigenous women. Um, you committed to doing that when I spoke with you the day after the election, when I spoke with uh, your Minister of Families, Nahani Fontaine, on the program. She became quite emotional um, about that promise. But there are families that are wondering what's taking so long for this search to begin. What would you say to those families? We are committed to searching the landfill. We are going to do it in a way that uh, is respectful for the families. And if I could illustrate the point by way of an anecdote, immediately before our provincial election campaign started, I went to a Sundance ceremony, and it was in the U.S., it was in South Dakota. And I saw a family, a Lakota family there, repatriate uh, a headstone for the remains of a child who had died at a boarding school what we would call a residential school in Canada. This child had uh, died some 140 years ago at a boarding school. The remains were returned, and they were installing the headstone. And I watched over the course of four days as the family, women who are now grandmothers, but who were the multi-generational descendants of this ancestor, 
feed their loved one, sing songs for their loved one, decorate the headstone in traditional wares, and maintain a vigil. And the answer to the question if we were going to search the landfill was very apparent in that moment. When I looked at these women, when I looked at this Lakota family, and I said, for 140 years, for seven generations, they knew who this person was that was missing from their family. They knew her name, they knew where she fit into their family tree, and they never forgot. And for that 140 years, they maintained a silent vigil, waiting for that person to be returned from them. That's the question at the heart of, do we search the landfill? I want Manitoba to be like the best of what that family brought forward on that day. I want us to be a province that says, no matter how long it takes, no matter what uh, we have to go through to keep this thing together, we are going to ensure that we leave no one behind. People talk about how you, you campaign in poetry and you govern in prose. Um, do you worry that, that you will let people down? No, that's not the thing that I think about. I think about how to try to do the things that we, we told Manitobans we were going to do. Do you feel a personal weight of those expectations? Particularly, for, I mean, I know that you're the, the, the premier of the entire province, but being the first matters to people. And we've talked about this. People see you and they see themselves in you. And I wonder whether you feel that personal weight of expectation. And then whether you worry that, that, that you have to meet almost an unreasonable expectation of people. This is not about me. This is about the people of Manitoba. And so my job is to get up early every day and do my best and to work as hard as I can with a very talented team to deliver what the people in this room and everyone across the province deserves, which is the best. And so you asked the question about being the first. I hold that with a lot of reverence. I in no way diminish uh, you know, the, 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 the thoughtfulness of you bringing that forward. I greet that with humility. But my goal has never been to be the first of any kind of premier. My goal has always been, with a lot of humility, to be the best premier that Manitoba has ever had. I, don't, I won't be the judge of whether I achieve that, but my goal is to put the work in on a daily basis because that's what the people of Manitoba deserve. People deserve the highest quality of government from our democracy. You're still new to this job. Um, I'm not trying to move you on or anything like that. <laughs> but it was interesting. I had a conversation. It, it, was, it was one of the last interviews he did um, with Ed Broadbent. And Ed Broadbent said that you are the future of the NDP. Is that a job that you want? Well, I'm the leader of the NDP. Federally. Welcome to Manitoba, Matt. Federally, he was talking about it. He was not casting any shade on this great province, but he was talking federally. Is that a job that you would want? You know, first of all, I want to say that Ed Broadbent was a person dear to so many of us, and we are so much better as a country for having had him in our public sphere. And I've signed up to perform the job of Premier. It's more than a full-time job, and this has 100% of my attention. That's a pretty political answer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let me ask you just finally about the city we're in. We are here, and I said at the beginning, it feels like Winnipeg is having a moment. You can talk to people about this, and we're going to talk about this more coming up, about what's going on, about how it's, it's being reshaped in some ways by a new generation of Indigenous leaders. Um, when you think about, about what's happening here, what do you think the rest of the country could learn? 
from what's going on in Winnipeg? I think Winnipeg is a place with a bright future that is informed uh, by our past. Like this place has always been a meeting place of many cultures. And I think the fact that this is the province of Chief Peguis and Louis Riel and ancestors who've been at the Forks for 6,000 years in terms of an archeological timeline, probably a lot longer than that, is an important part of who we are. And what I would wanna offer to the rest of the country is that Manitoba is a hardworking place, is a humble place, and the people here are smart. Manitobans over the past 50 years have put a down payment on building up a zero emission hydroelectricity grid and the building blocks for a safe, clean, environmentally friendly future that has a strong growing economy. And with, you know, all that humility in mind, maybe with a little bravado in turn, I would say maybe it's our turn now to make good on that bet. And maybe it's our turn to be able to, you know, carry a lot of the, uh, the weight of expectations that you spoke about for the rest of the country. Because I feel like Winnipeg and I feel like the rest of Manitoba is more than up for that challenge. And we have a ton to share with the rest of Canada. world. We're really glad to have you here. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks so much for having me. The Premier of Manitoba, Rob Canoe. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. As we heard from the Premier, the city is undergoing a transformation. Take the Bank of Montreal building at the iconic corner of Portage and Maine. That will be the new Métis Nation Heritage Centre. Just up the street, the Southern Chiefs Organization is breathing new life into the landmark space once owned by the Hudson's Bay Company. And now you can add Nawe Odena to that list. Gordon Bluesky is the chief of Broken Head Ojibwe Nation, chairperson for the Treaty One Nations Governing Council, and Treaty One is developing this space, more than 100 acres of land in Winnipeg that will be the largest economic development of its kind in Canada. Diane Rusin is a social innovator, director of the Boldness Project in Winnipeg. She is a member of the Skowan First Nation in Manitoba. Negan Sinclair is a member of the Peguis First Nation, professor in Indigenous Studies at the University of Manitoba, author of a forthcoming book, Winnipeg, Visions of Canada from an Indigenous Centre. He's also, of course, a columnist for the Free Press, and they join us all on stage. Hello to you all. Thank you for being here. An all-star collection of guests. Chief Blue Sky, give people across this country who don't know about this project a sketch of what it's going to be. Well, Nawi Odna has been a, uh, a work in progress for over 20 years now. I see uh, a lot of residential development, commercial space. We see a lot of uh, opportunities for our institutions. We're having discussions about having one of the largest health centers in, uh, in there as well. That'll be supporting and, and working towards having a place that's more suitable for our people to be coming into the healthcare system. So it's a really exciting project. <laughs> 
the, the, currently we have a uh, you know 90 some percent treaty one people that are working on its design its uh, inception and, and so on like so going forward our, our goal is to see exactly that first nations people thriving not just surviving anymore what do you think the rest of the country can learn from a project like this well, I think it's going to show, showcase what we can do as Indigenous people and what we should have been doing from the first place. I, I just know that this is going to be setting the example across the country. What's, I know, what, what's different now, do you think? Well, I know currently in the, in the region, I get a lot of calls from First Nations uh, locally and beyond that are really encouraging us and also very inspired by the work that we're doing. Mm. So I know for sure that other First Nations across the country and across Manitoba are going to start to work together collaboratively. Diane, what do you make of what's happening in Winnipeg right now? And I ask you this based on the work that you're doing, particularly within the inner city. What's, what's the story that you want to tell to the rest of the country? What I see in the inner city, we heard our premier uh, talking about the healthcare system. And so there are lots of systems all around us, uh, justice system, education system, you name it. And those systems are not serving our Indigenous families, and I, I would argue actually any family, very well. And so what I'm doing in the inner city is running a research project where we're tapping into the Indigenous wisdom of families and of children, and we're trying to figure out how to better design those systems so that they have better health and wellness outcomes. Is there something about what's happening now, like the, about the time that is allowing this to happen, that it could have happened in the past, but it didn't, but now it seems like parts are coming together in a way that perhaps they didn't before? There is definitely, I feel, there's definitely more of an appetite for, um, you know, this thing we're calling truth and reconciliation. And so I do feel like more and more Canadians, more and more, you know, Manitobans, Winnipeggers are leaning into that conversation. I know one thing about the Winnipeg Boldness as a research project, we use the language of cross-sector collaboration. And that really means just like not working in silos anymore. It really means that it is going to take all of us. So we need, you know, the government, we need uh, the corporate, we need uh, the philanthropic, you know, we need the community so all of us coming together we all do hold a part of the solution and I feel there's way more of an appetite for that that uh, kind of collaboration mm. than we've ever seen before got, that's worth cheering the subtitle of your book Nigan is uh, referring to this city as as an indigenous center what do you think the rest of the country could learn from this indigenous center uh, well a few times tonight we've used the term uh, Winnipeg is having a moment uh, Winnipeg is the moment. And what I mean by that is we are the first steps of confederation. So Treaty 1 was birthed in this place. The Red River Métis was birthed in this place. We are the future of the country because the fastest growing population are young indigenous peoples in this country, growing faster than anybody else exponentially. And so as a result, just like hundreds of years ago, when we welcomed the newcomers in, taught them, saved their lives, you know, where to, where to eat, where to find the medicines, it will be those young people, and one of them you just met just a minute ago, uh, Wab Canoe, who will lead this country into what is the most critical issue going forward to deal with the economy, the environment, and escalating conflict. It is Indigenous peoples that have always taught the newcomers how to live in this place. And so it will be those young Indigenous peoples that will vote in a First Nations Premier, and that's what it looks like. That's what Canada looks like in the future, and that's why this place is the future of this country. What do you think people get wrong about this place? Well, I think I speak for all of us uh, in that we're all sick and tired of reporters, journalists, writers coming to our city and deciding what we are. 
I think what people don't understand about this place is they come here for a weekend or a coffee break, and they come and see what is struggles in the downtown core. What they see is struggles on First Nations. What they see is struggles like we see currently happening within our province in the horrible tragedy in Carmen, Manitoba. And they think that's Manitoba. But what is birthed here is more solutions to racism, poverty, and violence than anywhere else. You will see people putting their lives on, their lives on the line tonight for people in encampments. Like everybody from non-Indigenous peoples in some of the most wealthiest areas of the city to Indigenous peoples in the downtown core who are related to those who are in encampments to people who are sending food from all the rural areas to come to downtown. And so you see more solutions here. And that's really what my book is about. Mm. What is the opportunity? We've hinted at this and Negan hinted at this. We talked about it a little bit with, with the premier as well. Chief Blue Sky, what is the opportunity in terms of those developments for the next generation of Indigenous youth in this city? I mean, if you think of, of the young people who will look to those developments and look to what you're saying and try to chart their future, what do you think that will mean for them? I, I, you know, I, I got three beautiful daughters that I think about and the work that I do every day is for them. Uh, the success that we have collectively as people is really is to, to blaze the trail and the path for them as well. So what I see is, uh, as a 60 Scoop survivor, is our children in the future thriving and not just surviving as I did. And for myself personally, I see this place as an opportunity to see, you know, First Nation, Anishinaabek engineers, architects, police, City, uh, city service people, and it will become a common place and a common thing throughout this uh, city. And I know it's just a start. Nawi Odin is just a start of what we're going to be doing throughout Treaty 1. What do you, what do you see as the future? For, uh, well, for myself, personally, I see ourselves getting back to where we are rightful place here in this province and, and, and within our nation, within our lands. You know, the, we were, we're not foreign to economic development. We're not foreign to trade. We're not foreign to being successful and, and That's really important to stress, to, to right? Be, to be wealthy, that we're not foreign to that but it was taken away systematically. Our treaty relationship at one time was based on respect, mutual beneficial arrangement, and then slowly over time, the system that was put in place and installed took a lot of things away from us. And what I wanna see is our children not looking at the past as being something that's painful or traumatic, like Negan was stating, something that we would be proud of and looking forward. And we start to have collective conversations about success. Diane, you nodded all the way through what he was saying. (laughs) What rings to you? true about that when you think of that next generation and what they will inherit but also shape. I also have my two daughter, beautiful daughters in the audience today mm. and they're, they can't be more proud of who they are and it's, it's almost like it's a competition to be how proud can we be and so I think you're seeing that and so it's up to you know folks like us on stage and, and others and those of us in the audience to create the opportunities for those young ones and because if we don't they're just going to take it <laughs> and so you know so we have to be prepared for that conversation and I, I'm ready for that conversation. <laughs> Negan, last word to you on this. What does thriving look like for that next generation, do you think? So the word Winnipeg, the, tr- the name of this place that we are in right now, uh, isn't referring to the city. That came much later. Winnipeg is referring to the watershed. And what it means is it's a Cree word in which uh, it's Cree science. And it talks a lot about how things that fall onto the earth, that seep through the rivers, uh, that come into the, uh, the great lake Winnipeg, Uh, create this medicine 
called this Mashkiki, this this algae, or what we refer to in Ojibwe as Atagib. Winnipeg is in is created from life, from a subsequent series of people, beings, non-human, human, welcoming each other in and taking care of each other. Uh, and ultimately, by us coming together, we create medicine, we create life. And some of that medicine is not pleasant, as we know that violence teaches us, uh, alcoholism teaches us, addiction teaches us. But the most powerful medicine is that when we come together and we birth our children, that we birth nations, and that we come into this place and make new languages. Or as an elder once said to me, uh, you know, everything we need is right here. And that uh, we always had the internet, we just called it the rivers. Hmm. We just need to look to each other, build relationships, build families, and ultimately that will be the medicine that will carry us forward into the future. And by the way, uh, Canada is an indigenous word which means the village, so to be the most Kanatian would be to be in Winnipeg. Welcome to the center of the universe. In some ways, here we are. Um, we're really glad to have you all here. Thank you very much. There's a lot of optimism and hope in what you're all saying, and that's there's, it's, it's a complicated time and a difficult time, but it's exciting to be, like, it's infectious in some ways to be seized by that optimism. Thank you very much. Gordon Bluesky is chairperson for the Treaty One Nations Governing Council, chief of Broken Head Ojibwe Nation, Diane Rusin, director of the Boldness Project in Winnipeg, and Negan Sinclair is the author of an upcoming book, Winnipeg Visions of Canada from an Indigenous Center. Thank you. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.